This podcast is not canon. It is not endorsed by Lucasfilm, The Story Group, Disney, Delray, Fantasy Flight, West End Games, or anyone else with actual stakes in Star Wars. Again, this podcast is not canon. Welcome to Of Dice and Droids, a Star Wars tabletop podcast brought to you by the Tashi Station Network. Join Brian, Nancy, Rocky, Sho, Saf, Jay, and Game Master Tom in their original campaign, The End of All Things. of Dice and Droids. Uh, we got a special interlude episode this week uh, because uh, scheduling issues are going to make it hard to record a regular episode for a little bit, but we wanted to get something out there. Uh, on the panel with us today, we've got myself, Brian. We've got Nancy. Hello. We've got Jay. Hello. Uh, show. Hello. And of course, our game master, Tom. Hello. Well, we don't really have uh, a very defined list of things to talk about, but I thought we could uh, hit up some sort of broad topics and kind of roundtable off of that. Um, who wants to volunteer and discuss the or uh, summarize the campaign so far? I can do ours. Okay, you sh- you should do ours, and we'll have. Uh, Jay or show do the Imperial or the uh, Merc side. Okay, so the Rebel team was dispatched by Wedge Antilles to Tatooine to find out to get some speeder bike technology from a an auction, um, and uh, while at the cantina, we are when we got to the cantina where the auction was being held, we um, got into some trouble when one of the other groups uh, jumped up and said they were going to get back what they what was theirs. Uh, a fight broke out. Um, my character decided it would be a good idea to shoot at thermal detonators. Blew up the cantina. Uh, we ended up in the Rancor pit of Java's palace and had to start a brawl in order to get out. Um, and now we are stuck in another room uh, with the members from the Karthak group who had their scientists stolen, um, who were the creators of the the tech so the, we they weren't actually selling tech they were selling the people who made it and we're apparently going to have to race in a swoop bike race through beggars canyon and that was where we ended also i made friends with malakili you did make friends with malakili but you told him you'd take him to dathomir and hey, now he's it, gone it's not over yet it's, i will find him <laughs> hear I that will tom find him hear that tom 
Best laid plan. <laughs> I would devote all the checks to finding him. <laughs> and hey, the uh, Imperial side, what did you guys do other than go to a day spa? <laughs> well, I don't think we're actually Imperial, though. Or sorry, the mercenary well, side. Uh, well, well, so we started out... Jay? You know, we got our, our mission and we were sent to Tatooine. Um, and we were told to participate in this um, auction. Yes, hello? hello? Oh, sorry, you lagged there a little bit. Am you're I? good, you're good. Okay, yeah. So we were told about this hut auction uh, for weapons technology. So we went to Tatooine. We went to a, a cantina or a bar of some sort. I got very drunk and made my teammates very angry with me, but we discovered the hotel where our contact was staying. We barged into his hotel room after I befriended a droid and... Um, he was very upset with us, but he told us that we had to go to this fancy ball. Uh, instead of going to the fancy ball, we ended up spending um, an entire uh, game session accidentally sort of lounging and fooling around in a spa, which was eventually under attack by forces unknown or maybe Black Sun. Uh, who knows? Um, we had a tendency. What? But what a spa it was. Yes, what a spa it was. And we kept name-dropping someone named uh, Sonny Windwalker, who was apparently a very bad name to name-drop on Tatooine. Gets people's attention. Uh, we ended up under the spa in the sewers, running away from Rathtars. And uh, luckily, um, I had a great way of uh, fle- uh, of getting rid of the Rathtar problem. And how was that, Jay? Well, you know... Flirting with the Rathtar mostly and succeeding beyond our, our, our wildest dreams. I think we had a moment there. I, Tom, how did you feel having to uh, assemble the dice pool for that check? Well, I wouldn't say that, first of all, I would not say that Jay has solved the problem with the Rathtar, seeing as whilst they were speeding away on the ship that they have commandeered, that the Rathtar is in hot pursuit. Um, so they haven't exactly solved the Rathtar problem. Um, I was skeptical, uh, skeptical about its success, given that if I remember correctly, the odds were not at all distinctly in your favor. But I mean, quite honestly, uh, though that decision is well in line with the types of odd and crazy and off the beat decisions that I attempt to try to think about maybe not specifically with like well they're going to woo a Rathtar because truth be told I didn't know it was going to be a Rathtar until we started playing Um, but I do try to prepare myself and steal myself for strange character choices Uh, and I I think that would definitely qualify as a a strange strange uh, character choice um as we're kind of roundtabling this, uh, if anyone has any thoughts or wants to steer the conversation in any direction, go for it. Um, I blame Percival for all strange character choices. You know, he's the strangest character of all. That, that probably is a uh, probably is wise. Now, show can you tell us who your team is based off of? Uh, well. So, first season of the Pokemon anime. Uh, Jay is Ash, I'm Misty, and Saf is Brock. 
That makes that makes me oh so happy. Also, Saf would totally be Brock. Um, <laughs> so uh, she's IRL Brock. She is IRL Brock. Uh, so reactions to this, reactions and thoughts to this point. Um, what are y'all? What are y'all thinking of uh, the campaign that Tom has put together? We can so flirt our ways out of everything. I think it's an excellent campaign. I just feel bad we keep ruining the best laid plans by doing crazy stuff like spending the whole day in a spa. I mean, you're not, you know, you're not, the the whole point, excuse me, the whole point is that you're not really ruining it. Because while the campaign had very much had a very set beginning, and that was as much as helping just get the story off the ground as anything else. um, So it did have a very set beginning. And the campaign does have an ending sort of uh this the ending is relatively open-ended in that i have three or four moments that i would consider the end of this particular campaign but i'm not quite sure yet at which one we may end up at the the middle section or all you know all of the journey from point a to point b is is not at all you know on a rail or set in any kind of stone so the choices that you guys make are helping to inform and craft and build the campaign as much if not more than whatever pre-planning that i've been doing so you know while you might lament that you haven't made it to the fancy ball yet you know the fact that you have chosen to do other things rather than you know just getting to the fancy ball immediately it doesn't make the campaign or our our journey so far on the podcast any lesser than if you know you had done you know three you know super correct or super like you know uh efficient things in a row and made it to the ball and to like the next sort of like uh you know goalpost point or flag point in the campaign that's true as long as we get to dance at the ball i think we can consider it a successful campaign i mean theoretically there this this story could continue where your group never makes it to the ball I mean, there certainly will be ramifications. There'll be repercussions. The the things that would happen at the ball, like, will still sort of happen off screen that may eventually impact your characters. But there's really nothing stopping your team from just going off to do whatever you want. Um, yeah. So, um, sorry, awkward pause there. Um, it's the, the what's really nice about these tabletop games is there is no defined path you have to take tom i think you were mentioning to me that uh you you kind of think of this as a road trip you know where you're you know what the beginning and end points are um but uh how you get there is up to interpretation you are 100 percent correct in that it is very much like a road trip but to take that even one step further we don't even technically need to go to the destination now, part of that is because none of you know what the destination is. I'm the only one who knows. So my money's I can on just... it being Saf becoming Queen Empress of the Universe. <laughs> I mean, I'm sure that that is what she's going to attempt to do. That's not exactly <laughs> what I had in mind, but we might get there anyway. What would that um, dice pool look like to become Queen Empress of the Universe? Well, I assume that that's multiple checks over time. And who would she have to flirt with to make that happen? Herself. I mean, I'm sure she would. Yeah, I mean, you'd have to, like, square the circle or something like that. Um, I'm sure that she would just, you know, to cover all her bases, just flirt with everybody. Um, Oh, so what she's already doing. Yeah, yeah. I mean, obviously, yeah. 
that, that <laughs> you know, she's on the right track, clearly. Um, but yeah, since I'm really the only one who technically knows what the endpoint is, I can move the endpoint wherever, wherever I feel it needs to go to best serve the story that's being told. So we don't even need to get to point B. We can just kind of drive around and enjoy both the scenery and enjoy the things that we discover along the way um, until we get to a place that's like, you know what, this is going to be point B. Um, so wherever it ends up being satisfying, but no, you're right. It's very much like a road trip. Uh, and every once in a while, you know, you get onto the dirt road a little too much or you get off, you know, you get onto, you know, uh, some unmarked territory and, you know, I might have to give you a road sign to steer you back a little bit towards center. Um, and then you kind of go off again. So that's, that's really how, how it's worked really since episode three. Um, <laughs> Yeah. Once I got both teams going, once I kind of gave you both a push and you just kind of went off and running, I didn't really need to do a whole lot of prep um, from episode to episode. Other than go to waste. Well, that um, a little bit, you know, and because I, you know, I prefer to keep things as open as possible to whatever you guys, the players come up with. The only thing that I've really been doing is in the background, keeping track of everything else that's going on in the galaxy that I want to keep track of as it relates to how much time you guys are spending. So it's one of those things. And it is one of those things that tabletop gaming that separates it really from everything else is that things don't just stop when the team and the players decide to do something, you know, in a video game, if you decide to stop the main storyline of your game and go do like one of the side quests, the main storyline is just kind of sitting around waiting for you to come back. Everything's in stasis in the last place you found it in tabletop games. And particularly in this game, that's not the case here. So if you guys spend time doing other things or going off to do, you know, weird things, or you find something you're super intrigued about, you want to explore, I'm actually keeping track of what else is going on in the galaxy simultaneously. Interesting. Yeah, if yeah. what you're saying is we might miss the ball, I'm I'm going to be sad. I mean, certainly you could. <laughs> you know, I'm you know I'm also keeping track of like you know if Sunny Windwalker is starting to hear word of the the name Sunny Windwalker being used about on Tatooine and what kind of reactions that's causing and who's <laughs> been using the, the, the name and, and who's heard the name recently um, and what Sunny, Sunny Windwalker is actually doing at the moment. Um, I'm tracking all of that stuff. I want to have a prize for whatever listener correctly guesses who Sunny Windwalker is. Well, that's probably not the best idea because I will actually tell you and it, it, uh, it involves a, a later kind of question that we've, kind of have set up here. Oh. I have actually already changed the identity of Sunny Windwalker. Oh, wow. very nice. Based on just information uh, that uh, that I happen to come across and dis- and, un- and on Earth. So, so it's really more Sunny like Windwalker, Schrodinger's Windwalker then. <laughs> yes. So Sunny Windwalker was one, did have an identity, a specific identity. And, um, the you know, after the first use or so. And then actually, as I began to do a bit more framing about what type of character Sonny Windwalker was, I discovered something and decided to change the identity of Sonny Windwalker. Interesting. So I don't, I don't anticipate that will happen again. Um, but, um, I mean, it is possible. And when, when, uh, when do we anticipate learning the identity of Ms. Windwalker? 
you know, it's a she. Oh. Oh. Mr. Windwalker. You can you can go back and review the tape. I have never used a pronoun for Sonny Windwalker. Yes, but presumably, yeah. well, maybe, maybe maybe the records they they checked didn't have gender in there as well. Maybe Sonny Windwalker is a droid. Or a rancor. <laughs> oh. Um, or maybe it's the Rathtar we've already met. Ah. Maybe it's the little lost Bantha cub. Oh. So, Jay, I I affectionately like to call you because I, I've played with you now a couple of times outside of, of Dice and Droids. Um, I affectionately like to call you the chaos maker every tabletop game needs. How do you do it? <laughs> Honestly, I just, things come into my head and I just want to do them, so I do them. So you just remove your filter. Essentially, yeah, just, just you know, I, I, I guess I have a good sense of the ridiculous or, you know, just whimsy and I just, if something comes up and it's, you know, it sounds appropriate, well, not really appropriate, but it sounds like it fits the context, I just throw it in there. So, yeah, give us a... Give us a brief little bio of the character you played for a little adventure I was workshopping last right. weekend. So we, we played a side adventure uh, last week, and I played a Gungan diplomat. Um, and I sort of developed the character as we went through the adventure. And basically, you know, I, I don't know how Gungan diplomats actually end up behaving. The way this character ended up acting is where people did what the diplomat asked just so the diplomat would stop annoying them. And I think my, my favorite achievement was not getting killed by Han Solo and uh, finding an ice cream maker, <laughs> a really wood style ice cream maker. And I got a really good dice roll for that ice cream maker, too. I really wish I had recorded that in hindsight. Um, so I feel like this is a good question for you. Um, th that was obviously a, a character you did not put a lot of planning into. We used one of the... Uh, base sheets from the age of rebellion beginner game and you spent about seven minutes coming up with your entire character do you prefer to do a lot of planning or just kind of get the very basics and then wing it from there you know it's funny um i usually end up winging it like even though if i you know if i was you know writing a story or playing a game i'd like to have a big developed backstory and agonize over the details but with an rpg i think almost every character i've played i've sort of just made up the details on the spot, I guess. Very cool. I, sounds a little like uh, Tom's method, or Tom's thoughts on GMing, on how you have a general idea, but the the roadmap isn't def isn't definite. Right. The, the, story, the story ends up developing the character as they go. So if you had, you know, I, I didn't have any idea that, he, you know, my, my, Gungan would be obsessed with ice cream. That literally just happened, and that turned into a major part of the character. Well, who wouldn't be obsessed with ice cream, honestly? <laughs> That's true. Uh, Show, I know you've done a lot of tabletop gaming, and you've probably played in a lot of different styles. Um, the Merc team... Is... Sorry, say again? I actually, have, I actually haven't done that much tabletop gaming. I've, like, made a lot of characters, but then a lot of groups just fell through, and we were never actually able to start. Okay. Um, well, you might still be able to answer this. Um, you, the Merc team is a lot more conversational oriented than uh, the Rebel team is. Do you prefer 
do you prefer that more diplomatic approach to playing the game as opposed to the more run and gun approach that uh, others might use? Um, kind of, yeah. It feels more like a story, and there's a lot more opportunity for hijinks that way. Yeah, that's an understatement. <laughs> <laughs> and it's like, you know, it's it's kind of interesting to have a character in a violent setting approached like their approach to conflict is like oh crap please don't hurt me <laughs> let me think of a way to get you to not hurt me are instead we, of like are we talking about oh, percival snap. here <laughs> no like ev- everyone we're like yeah we're, we're not going to attack the the uh flight control that is for some reason at Moss Eisley, we're going to try to lie to it because otherwise things are going to get messy and complicated. Gotcha. Um, Nancy, uh, you've only been tabletop gaming for a little while here. What have been your thoughts so far? Maybe coming at this as the perspective of of a writer. Um, Just mainly trying to make interesting choices. And also remembering that this is role playing and not necessarily what you would be doing as a person in this situation. Because, uh, well, A, I hope I'm never in a situation where I'm in a cantina that is turns into a brawl. Um, but just, you know, figuring out what your character would do um, and ju- not just going along with the flow, you know, it's as. You know, as much as we say, oh, we feel bad because Tom's plans got ruined, you know, it's fun when those things happen. (laughs) And it's a lot easier than just, okay, we're going to go along and we're going to find this and then we're going to kill these 10 rats. (laughs) Sorry, wow, flashback. Making your story a little less rote and a little more unpredictable. So the game for you lives and dies by the characters as they should. Yeah, and also it like it's it's helped me a little like when I'm trying to to decide like um like major defining moments like when I'm planning out a book or writing an outline like you know usually I have like set set points in the book where it's like divided out act 1 act 2 like that sort of thing. And so it helps like figure out okay, I need to have something really important happen. And, you know, I, I see that a lot, like, you know, because you have to monitor what's going on in the game and then come to a stopping point that's also a good stopping point. So it makes you excited for the next episode and not just, okay, we're done for today. Like, I know the first episode was when we were in the cantina and they started, a, the, the Karthak group got up and started yelling. And then the second one was... um when we when the rope i think was the ropes ropes came down and And then and then the third one was when they're like all right we're gonna be in beggars canyon so yeah so tom we we touched upon this a little bit but how do you react to players doing weird things like flirting with a wrath tar (laughs) um i try to react by first of all i always want 
this is something I, I've learned from DMing over the years and DMing in, in uh, gaming stores and with other DMs and being at like large scale public events where you're sitting down with a bunch of strangers for just a quick two hour session. You don't really know anyone, all this stuff. The concept of, and it comes from, from uh, uh, sketch comedy and stuff, the concept of saying yes and. Um, so if someone tries to do something either that I haven't thought of or is just like, you know, just ridiculous or crazy or outlandish or super inventive, my first instinct is to say, yes, you can do that. And then what? Um, because A, you don't want that one thing to derail the game. You don't want it to like kind of overtake everything else. You want it to just flow into the next action. You want to find a way to build off of it. So I'm always trying to figure out, okay, we're going to try to make this happen as ludicrous or crazy or, or even potentially like not really within even the scope of the rules of the game. We're going to try to make this thing happen because it's cool and it's interesting and the player is super invested because they're making a fun choice. Um, but then also try to build off of it. So the moment that, for example, Jay decided he was going to flirt with the Rantar, as the dice pool is being built, I said to myself, okay, what happens story-wise if this actually succeeds like what what is the thing that is going to happen if it actually succeeds because if it doesn't succeed a lot of times a crazy or outlandish or un, uncertain thing if it doesn't succeed usually then whatever this current status quo of the situation is just going to hold and you move on so you don't really have to give that a lot of thought so i'm always thinking of okay what's the next thing and then how do i make this feel like this was supposed to happen all along like, how does it make it feel like this is completely the story I was trying to tell and that we were trying to tell so that it feels fluid, it feels, um, you know, seamless. Um, and that's a hard thing to do. It takes uh, I, it's definitely something that you get better at with time because you just get reps of having to deal with crazy, ridiculous things happening or uncertain things. Uh, yeah, so I was I really just thinking about what do I do if he succeeds with flirting with this Rathar? Um and I'm actually still figuring that out. <laughs> I, I think I figured out enough for the short term, but now I have to figure out sort of the, like the longer term. I'm uh, excited. I'm excited about how there's a like a sewer system and like submarine thing on Tatooine. <laughs> but yeah, that's um, yeah, it's that's interesting. You're taking the golden rule of improv and that really does take a lot of practice to get right. Like um, I did improv through college and every year we always had to go over yes. And and we always had to every practice, we had to bring it up and try to work on that. So yeah, applying the golden rule of improv to a RPG where anything can happen and probably will because Percival is in the party. (laughs) (laughs) One, um, uh, something that Tom said reminded me of another storytelling um, piece of advice that I'd heard from the cr- the creators of South Park. They have a, 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 I think it's a video where they talk about when you are planning out a story, you need to say, this happens, therefore this happens, or this happens, but then this happens. If you just keep going a line of events and going, this happens. And then this happens, and then this happens. That's really boring, and it's not like cause and effect. Um, whereas when we're making choices in the game, obviously they're going to affect what happens and how we proceed going forward. Because you can't just say, "All right, you blew up a cantina. 
And then you're off on your next part of your mission, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Well, I mean, you could. It just wouldn't be very good. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so uh, this may be more of a Tom question, but floor is obviously open to e- everyone. Uh, Tom, how do you actually go about crafting a campaign or just an adventure? Uh, how do you... Where do you start at and what are you looking to write down for this to just get the get the ball rolling? Um, I always want there to be a solid opening. Um, think about it in the same way, like you want the first five minutes of your TV show or your movie or your book or whatever to really have a really solid and impressive opening to draw people in. And I want that for the games that I run. Um, for two reasons. One, I think that, you know, if you start a game off with this just super boring, Okay, you guys are sitting in the cantina and it's midday and yeah, it's cantina, Star Wars. Woo, you guys know each <laughs> other. All right, what do you want to do? Like that's super boring and nobody who's listening or 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 watching is going to be super invested in it. Nobody who's playing is going to be super invested as much of like a, you know, world is your oyster kind of opening that is that it, you could just do or say anything. No one's super invested in that. Um, and if you've got new players, my gosh, the most petrifying thing, I think, for a new player in tabletop or to just an individual system is when you sit them down, and you're like, OK, go. Um, so I always am trying to do a lot of work for that first like hour to game session to craft something that is going to be fun, that is going to be exciting, that's going to set a tone for the type of game that I think we're going to have. Uh, that's going to give people a chance to do a bunch of different things. It's going to p- give people a chance to get into their characters and is then going to start pushing us in a story direction whether we stay in that direction is up to the players but at least pushing us in a story direction giving them something to hold on to that is the bulk of the work that i do um the remainder as far as building out an adventure is i will write down oh this kind of encounter might be really cool or while these are the characters are playing this i think they might have fun going to this location at some point or meeting this character if I'm using a world with established characters like Star Wars, um, or having this type of fight, um, you know, having a fight in like this type of environment with like these kinds of other factors, or maybe going after this type of object. I will write ideas like that down, um, and I might have a concept about how we might get there if the players just chose to like make no choices but the choices I laid directly in front of them. But other than that, that's it. I mean, I've got I've got enough um, RPG experience that I've got all these like little things I could draw on at a moment's notice to fill in an encounter, an NPC or, or an environment. But other than that, that's it. I prefer to then to just sit and play and kind of let the story come to me and come to the players. Um, I will say I did a slightly more work because we are dealing with two teams and kind of simultaneous timeline and like a cohesive world type thing. And there's you know, there's some extra work that needs to be done churning through all of that and keeping everything level but other than that that's kind of where i am when i'm when i'm setting up an adventure okay so really it's there at the beginning where you've done a lot of the writing and have the most material there afterwards you're the step what you're bringing to subsequent question uh subsequent uh sessions or more just more notes and uh notes and rougher sketches yeah that's basically i mean if that i mean the last session we did with the merc team i had i had nothing 
and nothing in front of me. I had no notes. I had no no anything. I was just like, okay, well, they're still trying to get to this ball, but they're in this bathhouse and they're kind of locked in there. And here we go. And then it was just <laughs> let. It becomes more of a. It becomes less of a. Let me, the GM, tell you the answer to the questions about the world. What does the world look like? What are the things that the characters care about? What are the relationships between the characters and the world and the world to other things? And it becomes more of a, you know what? I'm going to let the characters tell me that stuff. So let them make the choices and make the checks. And that kind of determines where you go from there. Yeah, but you have to be careful. You can't always just rely on the checks because if you end up in a situation where suddenly all the checks are failing and we've been there (laughs) or suddenly all the checks are succeeding, um, you can suddenly your story can suddenly start to spiral because you're just putting yourself at the whim of of complete chance and complete sort of randomness. Um, but certainly when Jay makes a choice, like I want to flirt with this Rathtar, there is, you know, is a whole bunch of sorry story weight behind that check. And so absolutely allowing that check to play out and saying, okay, we're going to take the story wherever this check says we're going to go, um, is definitely one way that I, I approach, um, kind of building out as, as the adventure is proceeding. Okay. Yeah. That, that that certainly makes a lot of sense, and it makes me feel better that um, the two little adventures I'm writing now I are very front loaded with stuff and much sparser towards the middle and t- and back end. Right, and that makes sense because players at the beginning are going to have more questions anyway. They're going to have more questions about like what are the parameters of this world or this story, and once you give them that stuff they have fewer questions to ask. Then they're more, they become more of like, oh, okay, I know how this world works and now I can start to play around with the rules in this world because I know what they are. But up front, you know, people are obviously going to probably have more questions about, you know, what's the, what are the boundaries of, of what we're doing? Um, so it's good that you, you know, you pre-write, that you pre-write, you know, and front load a bit more. And also it just, it ends up being a thing, no matter how big or small your adventure is, like you always overwrite. Everyone does. That's just the nature of of the GMing beast is you're always going to write more material than you'll ever use. Yeah. And that and that little uh, little adventure uh, Jay helped me play test last weekend. I had a ton of stuff written at the beginning. I'm pretty sure I didn't use half to two thirds of it. And that still got two hours of gameplay and we didn't even get past the first encounter area. Yeah, it was interesting because that one was, I think, based on the way we we timed it out. I, I was thinking well, we have a lot of pre-adventures, so a lot of work to get going to where the because we got the mission in the beginning of the adventure, and then we had to do a lot of work ourselves to get there. And a bit of that element, actually, what I liked about that adventure was that Brian required the players to sort of decide how they wanted to get to the destination which was a a planet that was you know blocked off hard to get to yeah that that's actually not one of the things i originally had intended i was uh because i forgot part of what i had written there and uh i i actually had to insert han solo in there to suggest something because i totally forgot to mention it in the briefing at the beginning um, but, uh, uh, Tom, Nancy actually inserted, uh, this question here. Maybe you want to ask it. Nancy. Yeah. Well, 
I don't know, like, obviously how much you can say or how much you even want to say, you know, depending on what we've gotten through. But I remember um, when we started up of the, you know, of Dyson Droids and we had our little interlude episode, introduction episode, you had mentioned that I think originally we were going to um, start playing a lot earlier, but you were glad that we started later because there were some things that you had, like put into the world that you wouldn't necessarily be able to say yet because <laughs> of, you know, what had been, you know, re- revealed or stuff. And I know you've taken some stuff from Legends. So just how do you go about deciding what to include in the state of the galaxy or like, and when you decided, you know, how to, when to set the game, basically? Um, I always... I really always did know that, I mean, once we sort of talked about this project, you know, enough that it was going to be a real thing, my first thought was really, you know, um, sorry about that, I lost my train of thought, or just have a second. My, <laughs> my thought was really um, that I wanted the game to be set in the Return of the Jedi aftermath sort of era. Now, at the time that we were having these these discussions, aftermath was not a thing. You know, it was May or June of last last year. So aftermath was, you know, only just recently announced to to the world that it was going to be a thing. Um, and so, I, you know, was glad when we didn't actually start this project until much later because obviously it would have been very difficult to, to run a game with some of the concepts that I had in my head when the material that I was not necessarily drawing from, it's not like I was reading pages from Aftermath or from any of the the other sort of Journey 2 books or or from Lost Stars or anything and like drawing literally, you know, circling sections and characters and literally pulling them out for a game. I wasn't obviously doing that, but just some of the, the, the circumstances of the world and the circumstances of the galaxy at the time, you know, that I wouldn't really have been able to use it or at least use it in the way that I wanted to. Um, and certainly too, if there were, there were characters and there are characters that I've thought of that I'm like, wow, we could totally encounter some of these people. Um, but again, when those things weren't sort of out there and, and discoverable by people and consumed, they obviously weren't choices for an RPG for me. There just weren't at all. Um, now as far as how I make choices about what to take, um, kind of just comes down to I you know if you know if it's a character and I'm like oh I, you know I need this type of character and I might be like you know what I know that there's this type of character I know that this type of character was written in a Star Wars book that came out in 1996 or whatever and then you know I I have no no qualms about just going to pull that character as long as you know it makes you know good sense uh you know like you know certain people in the cantina or you know certain uh you know rancor keepers who might have been at Jabba's palace at some point you know um, so we're not gonna just like run into we're not gonna just have like thrawn walk by on the road and tatooine probably like that. yeah uh, probably not i mean and and part of that comes from well you know we aren't very we aren't strictly this you know we are following canon but it is not you know 100 percent canon because this is just a game but i am attempting to where there are particularly more well-known characters, events, and things, if I'm going to use any of them, I'm going to try to use them 
as close to the context in which they make the most sense. So yes, you're not going to be like walking down the street of Tatooine and having, you know, uh, Grand Admiral Thrawn um, and Mara Jade like give you high fives from the like, you know, you know, from the side of the market or something like that and like waving at you. Um, <laughs> that would be a really good way to destroy the willful suspension of disbelief. Clearly. What? Um, I don't, I think that's, there's nothing wrong with that. <laughs> <laughs> um, and also because honestly to use something a, use a character or event or something that big would would have to be the focal point of the story that's the other thing is i'm not going to drop in things from legends novels or even things from you know from current canon novels that i think might overshadow the story that we are all trying to tell because that is not good a it's not good storytelling and b that takes away it sort of diminishes the character work that you guys are doing as players, which is paramount to anything I might do with any NPC. Um, and it just sort of diminishes the game itself because it says that the, the elements of this, you know, star Wars galaxy are more important than the game that we're and the story we're trying to tell collectively, which is antithetical to RPG to begin with. Um, and then I guess the last little point about what I, what else I decide to take or, or how certain, you know, information influences, a, I'm always careful that I'm not using information or things that, you know, obviously I need to be protective of given the, the work that I do. Um, but, you know, whenever I'm working on stuff at work, I will sometimes think to myself, like, huh, this might fit to the game at some point when it's appropriate. This is definitely something I'm going to put aside. Um, uh, so, it, it, you know, it definitely is something that I think about Um when I'm looking at story stuff or reviewing characters or trying to think up. No of, identity reveal confirmed or. Oh, dad. <laughs> <laughs> I know people are going to start combing episodes of Odad and being like, Oh my God, there's a Rathar beneath Tatooine cannon. That's coming. There's a reason <laughs> I have the disclaimer. Yes, we have a disclaimer. In front of every episode. <laughs> no, it's the, there's the reason we had, we had to have it. People um, have said, why do you have that? Do you, the, the, this is not necessary. And we're like, Yes, it is. <laughs> yes, it, it is. Guys. Uh, I'm trying to think. There was there was something. There was um there was oh, like uh I mean the you know, one of the characters, the Karthak group, that's from a story that we did. That's from the one of the shorts in the Rise of the Empire bind up. And uh as I was putting together this um, as I was putting together this campaign and the very, the beginnings of it, I had, I was like, I just remembered how much I enjoyed that one character, how much I enjoyed Trey Barantha and the Karthak group. And I was like, we don't really know anything about the Karthak. There's very little of that. And so I went back and was like, well, here's what I've got. And I'm going to extrapolate this out a little bit. And this could be, you know, this, this could be quite a bit of fun. Um, and then similarly, I have a bunch of, you know, like, uh, West End games and other old uh, Star Wars RPG uh, just um, books and info and I combed through there and found some characters and found some things that I was like oh this is great I'm going to tweak this 90 degrees and that's cool but it's not going to be exactly that and you know I just kind of piece together what I need from what already exists or and then I make up the you know the 30% that's left over so oh, you were talking a little earlier about setting setting kind of the boundaries and the rules of the world and game. How do you decide, how do you d decide what those boundaries are for what players can and can't do? Um, well, one of the things in some ways it's easy. So one of the things that I don't let 
one of the boundaries is you guys, I, unless, you know, until the story kind of allows for it, certainly at the beginning, you can't, you guys can't really affect the larger narrative of Star Wars at this point. Like where we are in, the, in Star Wars, you guys can't stop the machine of the greater galactic civil war at this moment. You might get to that point. Your characters certainly might get to that point. But from the beginning, I'm just I'm not going to let you guys like get on a ship and like go to, you know, once you figure out where you are in the timeline of Star Wars, you know, once you guys kind of figured out, I'm not going to let you guys like get in a ship and go to Endor and like kill Luke Skywalker. <laughs> just not going to let that. Chuck happen. Wendig has uh, done that enough. Yeah. Okay, but I have I, I have that. that I have that goal now, just FYI. Okay. okay. Get off the podcast, Jay. And we'll get to that. Listen, Nancy, then your team could be the ones trying to protect Luke Skywalker. It's a good storytelling moment, potentially. Protect. <laughs> what, you don't want to protect Luke Skywalker? I'll protect him. <laughs> okay. Um, so there's things like that, like big things. So I'm you know, not going to let that happen. The other thing, really, the only other real kind of restriction I ever put on players, and it's kind of an invisible one because they don't really know it's there, is I'm not really going to, well, there's two. One, I'm not going to let people do something that's going to make the other players uncomfortable. So I'm not going to let any individual player, even couple of players, make choices about like the tone of the game or the content or the kind of the things we're talking about or the things characters are doing that are going to make other players actually uncomfortable and not want to play the game. That's an obvious sort of constraint. The other thing is I'm also not going to let any player really do anything that is going to allow them to dominate the story to the point that, you know, we're not playing of Dyson droids. We're playing like the, um, you know, we're playing like Jay's story. Uh, Aren't we know, already though? <laughs> or we're you know or we're playing like brian's story or we're playing rocky's story like i'm not going to do that because then at that point what is the point of the other players you know um so those are really the only two constraints i really put on the world um and then the last thing is just like i try to put a constraint on what the players know i mean you guys as characters only know so much about the galaxy um which is obviously so much less than you guys as people and as star wars readers and fans know um, but I am very cognizant that like Percival doesn't actually know everything that Jay knows. Um, and as much as Percival would like to think so. Yeah. And you know, he might get there. He's a, he's an astute guy. Um, but like, that's certainly something I have to bake in from the beginning or else again, there's going to be no story to tell because you guys will just have every answer to every possible problem I ever put in front of you. That could never be a surprise because you'll know every character, you know, a mile before they, they end up on the, on the game. Um, so, but those are really the only constraints and it would be much different depend, you know, if we were playing a much different game or even if we were playing a different RPG system entirely. So uh, another question I had, and when I, I, I actually played through the age of rebellion beginner game twice. Um, I did a test run with one group of players and then we did the recording, uh, the next week. Um, the first time I ran through it, I had a really hard time determining how to build dice pools um, outside of uh, outside of a combat combat uh, role of some sort. Is there any you mean for like skills? Like yeah, just basic skill checks. Yeah, skill outside of basic skill checks. Um, is there any advice for building building the dice pool for when players 
do something a little weird or something you're not quite expecting? I would say the easiest thing to do is always assume, start by saying whatever anyone is ever trying to do is the most, is the average difficult. Actually, start by asking yourself one question. Is this hard enough that I actually need them to roll the dice to do it? Mm-hmm. So is there is there is an exterior force acting upon them? Are they under some sort of duress and trying to do it? Is it outside of their normal expertise? All those things. If the answer to those questions are no, then don't don't have a dice. Just it happens. The end. Um, that's always the question. The other thing is, I would say always start instead of kind of having to reinvent the dice pool every single check. Just say every dice pool always just starts as an average skill check which in this particular game, an average skill check is two purple dice. Mm -hmm. Everything starts as average. Start to think to yourself then, okay, how much more difficult or less difficult is this than the average thing and whatever it happens to be? Are they trying to operate some piece of machinery? Is the machinery more or less complex than the average piece of machinery? Are they trying to affect some sort of physical feat? Is this more or less complex than the average physical feat? Once you figure that out, then you'll know, okay, you know what? I'm going to drop one purple die or I'm going to add one more or add two more, whatever. And then finally on that, you think of what are the, ex- what are the ex- you know, extenuating circumstances? Is someone trying to prevent them from doing it in the same time that they are trying to succeed? Okay, that might mean that there's you know, a red die or there's a black die. Do they have some extra advantage in that they're getting some help or they have a piece of gear that would allow them to do this better despite the fact that it's already difficult? Okay, that means that on the, the player side, the player are going to get an extra die or they're going to get an upgraded die. And I think if you start from that framework all the time, you're always then going to start with, well, the character sheet tells me what the player's side of the pool is. That's easy. And I have two purple dice. And then from there, you're always just saying, how much do I need to adjust up and down? Whereas instead of kind of just, you know, reinventing everything. Gotcha. So the the, play, the player's side is always defined. And yeah. as long as you're starting with two purple dice, it isn't too, it isn't too difficult to determine what the other half of the other side of the pool looks like. Yeah. And if you really are thinking about it, you're like, God, I have no idea that's probably a sign to you that this might be something that is super, super difficult. Mm -hmm. Like if you, if it really doesn't, if you really can't figure it out, if it sounds so outlandish that no one ever think to ask to do it, it might be, I wouldn't say that that's a guarantee, but it might be a sign like 60 to 70% of the time they're trying to do something super difficult. In which case you're like, great, that's going to be like four dice. Um, Yeah. And then it just, you know, and then it just comes down to, you know, it just comes down to reps and, getting to know better like what does the blue boost die versus the black setback die mean what is upgrading a dice for what is upgrading a die versus adding another die to the dice pool what's the difference between those two things and for that i would just suggest like reading back through the part in the either the the book if you have the full book or in the intro guides where it just talks about the dice and honestly i i read those sec i read just the chapter about the dice themselves probably like four or five times before I ever sat down to play. Oh, that that chapter in the core rule book is really dense, but uh, I, I keep referring back to it. There's a lot of good information there. Yeah. And, you know, even break it down. Just say, OK, I'm just going to read this part about the difference between the green die and the yellow die. I'm going to ignore everything else. Just green die and yellow, green die and yellow. And just read it as much as kind of you need to. 
Um, and then there, you know, there are tons of aids. If you Google around for uh, player created aids online, there are all sorts of them that people have created really great kind of step by step guides about figuring out dice pools and adjusting dice pools in certain circumstances or explaining the dice and explain the difference between the dice in maybe more simplified terms. Um, I will have to look around for some of them and maybe we can provide some links or things to people who are interested. But um, there are all sorts of them all on the Internet. People have have really the community for this game, particularly the GMing community looking for resources, is unbelievably strong. Yeah, and I, I've even picked up a few things from just some of the uh, GM resources out there. Others a great subreddit uh, that I've hit up a few times just to go looking for some answers to questions. Yeah, that's one of the better. That's one of the subreddits I spend the most of the time on, actually. Yeah. So uh, we're coming up on an hour here. So any last thoughts uh, the roundtable has before we wrap up? Speak now or forever hold your peace. <laughs> I, I'm looking I at uh, I'm looking at Nancy just because it looked like she was about to say something. No. Um, <laughs> I will say, and I know I said this on the last interlude episode, that the beginner games are such a fantastic resource, both for the beginning GM and for the beginning players. Um, first time I played through it, it stepped me through just about everything I needed. There's a couple sections that were a little confusing that I'm still not super clear on, uh, like the vehicle combat that I need to read up on more. Um, but uh, yeah, the first time through, I... It's a great resource. Get through it the first time. You you get uh, you get your feet under you, and then the second time I played through it with a different group, I was able to uh, I was able to accommodate for when the players wanted to do something I wasn't expecting better. Um, like the first time, I kind of had to force the players into a combat situation because I had no idea how to handle a more diplomatic uh, way to attack that. The second time, I was a bit able to. Uh, let the players do that. So like Tom said, it's all about reps there. Yeah. And you know, something else I'll say, and I see this, I see it written kind of everywhere. And I'm not really sure why this prevails, but it, there's the three games, age of rebellion, edge of the empire force and destiny, but they're not really, there's not three games. There's one game. There's the Fantasy Flight Star Wars RPG. And it just so happens that, you know, Edge of the Empire covers scoundrels, bounty hunters, people like outside really the the larger conglomerate of the Empire and the Rebellion. Age of Rebellion covers more people who are kind of more involved in the Empire and the Rebellion in more official roles of sort of being a member of the military or politics or whatever. And then Force and Destiny obviously covers Force users. But they are all 100% the exact same game. And sometimes when I see I see questions or I see like posts and people are like, oh, which of these three games should I use? Which one is better? They're the same game. You could imagine them if they were a D&D. If, if this was D&D, this would be Player's Guide 1, 2, and 3. This wouldn't be like D&D version 5, D&D version 20.2, and D&D version Pi. Like they are the same game. It just so happens to be whatever overall flavor you're looking for whatever types of characters you were trying to build would dictate which starter box to go to or which um uh which guidebook you'd want to pick up um so they're all completely compatible we are technically technically i guess we're playing with the edge of the empire book because of 
the fact that we're using obligation instead of duty, even though some of you have duties. But some of you are using characters from Age of Rebellion, and some of you are using characters from Edge of the Empire. Um, we just don't happen to have anybody who's a Force user because nobody wanted to be. Um, but so when people ask me to like what kind of game I'm running, I'm running a Star Wars RPG. I'm not really running. I don't. I don't make a distinction between the three. Um, so anyone who's interested in trying to get into it or trying to collect more resources on it shouldn't feel like, oh my god, I bought the Edge of the Empire beginner book. I can't use Age of Rebellion or I can't really play with Force and Destiny or it's a whole new game. There's really not. There's very little mechanical difference. Oh, yeah, a- absolutely. The mechanics are virtually identical. It's the same system. Um, a couple listeners actually went and bought up, uh, bought uh, the Edge of the Empire uh, beginner set and played through it with every bit as much ease as we did with uh, the Age of Rebellion beginner set. So it doesn't matter. The, the rules... The rule set works across the board. Pick up the beginner game that t- speaks to you the most. Yeah. And actually, the very last thing I, was, I, I mentioned, mentioned this earlier, but somebody a week or so ago, you know, I saw it up on Twitter that somebody wanted um, a character sheet for Star Wars RPG for Mr. Bones. From oh, my after. God. Yes. And I am 100 percent working on creating a character sheet for Mr. Yes! Bones. This is, this is not official in any way, shape or form. This is not going to be canon in any way, shape or form. This is not approved by any part of Fantasy Flight or Lucasfilm, whatever. I am just going to create a Bones character sheet. I will make it available for people. Yes. Maybe Mr. We'll throw together some, limitations confirmed. <laughs> I will, uh, you know, maybe I'll throw together some character sheets for some other Star Wars um, characters, um, Ray Sloan. Book characters, <laughs> book characters, movie characters, TV characters, you know, whatever. Ray. Maybe I'll throw together some more. Um, but uh, I decided I was going to make a Mr. Bones character sheet um, because he can't just be a regular, you know, battle droid because he is not just a regular battle droid. He can dance too. Uh, maybe I will make one for um, capital letters, uh, Grand Animal, capital letters, race loan. Um, I appreciate I'm not sure that the stats, I'm not sure the stats allow for her level of skill and awesomeness. So we're going to have to work on that. I might have to work on that a little She'll bit. She'll be a 10 in everything. Yeah. So we'll, we'll, we'll see. She might just be the little uh, infinity symbol in everything. <laughs> we'll, we'll have to nerf her a little bit. We're, we're sorry, Jay. If you ha- if you made a character sheet for Sinjir, there'd be like his regular stats and then his stats when he's drunk, which is all the time. So I, I might. Uh, yeah. So I will definitely make a character sheet for Mr. Bones and maybe I will make some character sheets for some of the other uh, some of the other Star Wars characters. Um, I know somebody had made some Star Wars Rebels character sheets at Ooh. one point. I wasn't a particularly big fan of them, but. Uh, maybe that's something that I would also revisit is creating character sheets for the for the rebels crew. Uh, I would absolutely love to love to get my hands on those. I mean, not just to use those players in a game because those players make for some interesting templates you can use for other characters as well. Totally. Yeah, totally. So as soon as I have those ready, I will find a way to make them available to people. Oh, I, I hope you're sending a sending a copy of that to Chuck. Oh, I mean, Chuck is going to be very wide, very heavily consulted on these things. But, you know, Chuck, Chuck, Chuck's busy. Chuck's, you know, working on some stuff, so I, I don't want to bother him too much. Oh, boy, I can't wait to see that. Uh, so any other last thoughts before we sign off here? Show, Jay? Nope. Um, 
thanks again for being an awesome GM, Tom. Yes. Won't thank me yep. yet. Your characters haven't made it out of the event. <laughs> well, I can at least say out of universe. Um, there are two people who taught me, who pretty much taught me how to GM. One is uh, Chris Perkins, who's over on the D&D side. And the other who I got most of the knowledge from is Tom. So Aww. thank you, Tom. Is Chris Perkins thanks. a dude from... Uh... Who does the Ack Inc. live games? Yeah, and uh, some other some other uh, live shows. Brian has made me watch those. They're, they're fun Which, shows. By the way, if you're curious about GMing and you watch those, you should notice he only uses one die, like ever. That's basically it. He only just uses one die most of the time. Huh. Oh, you're right. He does. Yeah. I'd never considered mm-hmm. that. But yes, that's another... Uh, that's another great resource. It's not the fantasy flight system, but if you're curious about GMing, go watch some Mac Inc videos to see how uh, Chris Perkins handles things. Um, so I think we'll go ahead and wrap it up there. We about hit this on a, an hour on with only four lines of show notes today. Go us. Yay. Um, scheduling for of dice and droids. We're hoping to get an ep- a, a gameplay episode in, in early July. Uh, we're working with uh, Rocky, on that um she may be available that last saturday you're available tom uh okay. end of july we have uh heath heath uh meg and saf from rogue Padron, and well saf from Everything. three different shows we have on our network um playing through a adventure i wrote specifically for them so that will be fun um yeah, so hopefully two more episodes, two episodes in July, and we're hoping to, hopefully after that we can get the, the schedule a little more on track once uh, everyone is settled down. Uh, but yeah, that was a lot of fun. Uh, Nancy, show uh, Jay, Tom, thanks for joining us tonight. Thanks for having us. Yeah, our pleasure. And uh, we'll see you all next time on Of Dice and Droids. So long, everyone. Bye. Bye. May the force be with you. Farewell. Ray Sloan. (laughs) This podcast is still not canon. For more information about the campaign and Star Wars tabletop RPGs, visit Tashi-Station.net.